0: And I invite you now, friends, to hear our scripture reading for this week, which comes from the book of Matthew chapter three, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from the Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, it is I who need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and at that moment, the heavens opened and the spirit of God descended on him like a dove lighting him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. The word of God for us, the people of God. Today, it is in the Christian calendar, what is known as baptism of our Lord Sunday. It is what it sounds like. Um, Sometimes we're not very obvious, and sometimes we're really good at naming something exactly what it is. Baptism of our Lord's Sunday is what is known as a feast day in the Christian cha- calendar, which means you should, in fact, eat whatever snacks we have after this. Feast days are high days in the church. They're days when we celebrate important parts of the Christian calendar. Today is a day to acknowledge that Christ was, in fact, Baptized. And I want to acknowledge it's also a day that follows what's known in the Christian calendar as Epiphany. I had a little bit of a pastoral crisis. It's not that impressive. But um, because of the way our calendar falls this year, Epiphany is a really important part of the Christian tradition. and Epiphany fell on a Friday this year. Epiphany is a day in which we celebrate the Magi finding Christ in his manger, and we call it an epiphany because it's when the world realizes that God is with them. Epiphany, as I said, fell on a Friday this year, and I thought about having an epiphany service, and then I realized nobody would want to come to a Friday night service. I would have my own epiphany. This year feels rushed, to tell you the truth. Having Christmas on a Sunday was a very strange whirlwind. Christmas Eve on a Saturday, and then New Year's on a Sunday, and then Epiphany on a Friday, and now we're at baptism of our Lord. And somehow in the past week, Jesus has gone from being an infant child to a couple years old when the Magi found him, to now a fully grown man in his 30s in a week. The Christian calendar is funny in that way. We speed up Christ's life significantly. We skip a lot of time and we miss out on awkward middle school Jesus, which is incredibly unfortunate in my opinion. But here we are. We're at Christ's baptism and it's an incredibly important moment. It's the moment that marks the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And more important, it's the moment that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God falls upon Jesus and said, this is my beloved for the first time. The sky cracks open and Jesus is submerged into the Jordan River and the Spirit descends upon him and God says, this is my beloved, my son with whom I am well pleased. It's a beautiful moment. It's a moment which isn't all about John the Baptist, but John gets to bear witness to it. And in some ways, it's a lot. It's a lot about John the Baptist. He is known as John the Baptist because he does indeed baptize quite often and very fervently. You might remember if you were with us before the Advent season, we talked a little bit about John. John is Jesus's cousin. His mother, Elizabeth, is Jesus's mother's cousin. Elizabeth was old in age when she conceived John, making him his own kind of miracle baby. And when Mary learned of her pregnancy, she ran to Elizabeth knowing Elizabeth would be a safe person to celebrate her own miracle pregnancy with. It was John who leapt in his mother's womb so that Elizabeth was the first person to proclaim the Messiah was coming. John grows up to be quite a strange fellow, and I personally really like him a lot. What we know about him is that he wanders in the wilderness, he lives a nomadic lifestyle, he eats honey and locusts, and he proclaims constantly that the Messiah is upon them. He is Christ's forerunner. John is humble, always saying, not me, that, that guy. I don't matter, it's all about him. And that makes John being the one to baptize Christ a big deal. John gets to be the one to hear the voice of God. He gets to be the one to submerge Christ into the water. He gets to witness the baptism of the person he himself is baptizing people into community with. It's a wild thing. It's why when Jesus says, John, me next, John says, I am not qualified for that. John is doing all the work of inviting people into Jesus's community. He doesn't expect Jesus to invite him into community in this way. It reminds us, friends, that baptism is first and foremost a humble and communal act. It reminds us that even if we're not getting to witness Christ himself being submerged in a river, and even if the skies don't crack open and we don't hear God's voice, every baptism we might witness is a holy mystery. We should be awed and consider ourselves deeply blessed to be a part of it. We should be like John saying, I'm not qualified and I'm not worthy of this. For when we witness a baptism, we get to watch the Holy Spirit fall upon another person. We get to affirm our commitment to love that person. And that, friends, is a holy space. Unfortunately, I don't have anyone to baptize for you this morning, Um, literally never. There's never any babies on baptism of our Lord Sunday. One day there will be but it's never happened to me. And so on this day, I would like to invite you to focus on the baptismal covenant instead. It can be found in your hymnal, but I'm gonna read some of the parts of it to you, just so you know it is in fact in there if you ever wanna look at it. There's multiples of them, but they all have the same rhetoric. The Methodist tradition, one of the things I love about it is our baptismal covenant. We celebrate baptism as a community. We often celebrate baptizing infants, which sometimes I get a lot of questions about. And the point is that it is about community. That while this child may not be able to affirm that they believe all these things, the community makes vows to this child, to raise them up in this way so that when that child grows up, hopefully they themselves can make those vows to another child. When we read these vows, friends, it's not just about the individual saying yes or the parents saying yes for them. It's about what the community says together. And that is this, we answer the questions, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Do you reject evil in the world and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever form they present themselves? Do you confess that Jesus is your savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace? Do you promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to all people of all ages, nations, and races? After each of these questions, the person being baptized and the congregation pledged to do so, We say yes to these questions and I just wanna point out that this is a hefty commitment because these are hefty questions, friends. We're not just saying, will you sit in a pew every week and will you give us $20 and will you wear your Sunday best? That's not in this. We ask bigger things and that is, do you renounce wickedness in the world Do you accept the responsibility to resist injustice and oppression in whatever form it takes? Do you confess Christ? Do you trust in his grace and will you serve in a church that acknowledges that all people are a part of it? Every time someone is baptized, the already baptized members of the community are reminded of their duty to do this to raise this person up in this way, to answer together, I do and I will continuously. And even when we just reinvite a baptized member into our community as we did today, we say yes to this again. We welcome them into this work. And so today, friends, I just want to revisit what it is we are asked to do in baptism. As I mentioned, Epiphany happened this week, and it's really important that Epiphany happens before we celebrate baptism of our Lord Sunday, because Epiphany is a day in which we celebrate that the light of Christ has come to all and all are realizing it. Advent just occurred, we just had a season of lighting candles and seeing the light of the world being born. And yet, epiphany, the celebration of light and goodness, it has to happen before the celebration of being baptized into that light. For many people, Sometimes I think Epiphany gets stamped out by darkness because we don't generally celebrate it or because of things that happened in the world. A few years ago, Epiphany was marked with riots on the Capitol. This year, January 6th for me, this past Friday, felt like a blur. And I barely paid attention to the fact that Christ was in the world because I was caught up in my own darkness and familial things going on and being sleep-deprived and achy and tired and whatever other things we were on Friday. A few years ago, um, in response to uh, the killing of George Floyd, a couple other people and I, who are young clergy that are on a leadership committee, to ensure that the North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church is always doing the work of anti-racism and is always improving our structure, um, particularly in the ordination process because it has historically been racist and sexist at times because that's what happened when you put people in charge of a church system. (laughs) A couple of years ago, in response to the death of George Floyd, um, we decided we wanted to do a clerical protest. That is a protest between all the clergy of the United Methodist Church in North Carolina. And we did that right here in Raleigh. Um, I wasn't living here at the time. I was down in Havelock, um, which did absolutely nothing in response to what was going on. And in that, a couple of my clergy friends, my colleagues, wrote a liturgy for that protest. And that liturgy was modeled after the baptismal vows. That liturgy acknowledged that we are people who are supposed to do the work of resisting evil and sin and oppression in the world. It repented of the fact that we, as a people and as clergy, haven't done enough that we have sinned. It lamented the ways that we as clergy in our churches fail every day. And so I tell you that as an example of the fact that these baptismal vows are not just meant for these walls, but they're meant for the outside world too. The clergy who wrote that liturgy did so because there wasn't a better liturgy to use. They did so to remind us that the commitment we make isn't just for in here, it's for out there. That the commitment to resist evil, to resist injustice, to be agents of good in the world, it is a commitment for the world. Every once in a while, I like to read back over that liturgy and read back over these vows to recenter myself. It is only after finding the light, after the gift of epiphany, after the gift of advent, that I think we can truly recommit to these things. Because we're freshly reminded that God is in the world, that light is in the world. And as a part of that light, we are to resist darkness, friends. I can tell you that we most certainly need to renew our baptismal covenant. In fact, I think it's a great thing to do at the beginning of January. If you haven't made a resolution, personally I hate them, but if you haven't made one or if you're trying to figure out what to do with it, maybe this is it. Maybe your resolution should just be to revisit these vows on a monthly or weekly or whatever basis, to hang it on your mirror or on your fridge or wherever you visit most regularly in your house, put it on your TV, (laughs) but to not just mark out a yearly checklist, to not just say we celebrated what we were supposed to, but to ask ourselves these questions over the next year and to answer them honestly to ask ourselves these questions this week, which is to ask this week, did I renounce the force of wickedness in the world? Did I renounce evil? Did I repent of my sin as I watched it take place, or did I fail? Did I resist oppression in the world, or did I find myself contributing to it this week? Did I beg for God's justice and grace to come forward this week? Did I confess Christ as my Savior and lament the ways people do harm in Jesus' name? Did I place my trust in God, or did I place it in false idols and broken systems? Did I lament the way our country and our church has fractured or did I further fracture it? Did I lament the truth that we are not necessarily open to all people and all races and all nations? And did I commit to continuing to do that and be that at open table? These questions are hard. And truthfully, I think sometimes it just feels heavy revisiting makes us feel like we have failed. And sometimes it's easy to point fingers and name the evils in the world with others, right? I still have this really vivid memory of being in middle school, um, which I've largely tried to block out. And sitting at a lunch table with one of my still very, very good friends and he had done something. And as an obnoxious middle school teenage girl does, I was telling him all the things he had done wrong and how he should correct himself. And he looked at me and said, you know, I think the plank in your eye must be really heavy. And, yeah, it was quite a read. (laughs) And it threw me. Largely because I grew up Methodist, and he was a Baptist, so I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, (laughs) I had to go look up that scripture because I didn't know what he was talking about. But the point is, I think sometimes it's really easy to look at other people and notice the ways they're failing and then not look at ourselves. It's easy to look at other people or the other side or the other whatever and say, you, you, you. It's harder to name it in our own church in our own community and in ourselves. The truth is, all of us have failed. And while some of us fail in bigger ways, some of us commit larger acts of harm. It's necessary that we all do the work of interrogating our lives and rededicating ourselves to being a baptized people, to these vows. It's necessary that we do not let it be ignored. That is, we do not ignore the day of light. We do not ignore the day of epiphany, a day in which the world realizes that God was with us. That we do not let darkness rule the hearts of those around us and perhaps our own. The good news, friends, is that we are not alone. I always think it's good news that we all fail because it means we're in this together. We are gifted with being community. We're tasked with the difficult work of upholding these commitments and we're tasked with doing it together. Because frankly, this is easier to do together than alone. To hold each other accountable, to repent of sin together. We're gifted with people to empower us, to support us, to witness our cleansing and who will say, I'm going to do this with you. We're gifted with good friends who will boldly tell us the truth, whether or not we want to hear it. We're gifted with people who will hear our secrets and our shame and hopefully meet us with grace. The Holy Spirit, friends, has fallen upon us just as it fell upon Christ. We too have been washed, we've been dipped in the water you haven't been baptized, come and see me. We can take care of it. I don't have a river, but um, we could find one, I guess. I have a friend whose church put a feeding trough in their church, if that really appeals to you. Methodists also sprinkle, if that's a thing that you're open to. The point is that we are all made new daily friends that daily we can recommit ourselves to living into these baptismal vows, that daily we get to begin again. And daily we get to hope that God will call us beloved children with whom God is well pleased. Sometimes I look around and think, God's not very pleased with me or any of us right now. But daily we get to do the work of making it so, of knowing that we are both called beloved and trying to earn being called beloved. Thanks be to God. At this time, friends, I'd like to invite you to join me in our communion liturgy, which can be found in your hymnal on page 13. We'll start on page 12. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sins before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church we have not done your will we have broken your law we have rebelled against your love we have not loved our neighbors we have not heard the cry of the needy forgive us we pray free us for joyful obedience through jesus christ our lord amen